Man, this is this episode is going to be several people's nightmare. A potentially <laughs> long format college episode. This is going to be funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're going to have like 20 minutes of engagement, maybe. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MLS Now podcast. I'm your host, Russell. You can find me on social media at Mr. Danger Russ. You can find the podcast on social media at MLS Now podcast. You can find my cat on social media, on my social media, of course, as he's sitting here uh, eagerly awaiting to join in the conversation for our wonderful guest today. We're doing a super draft, super show. So we had to go out and get a super scout of the super draft. You can find him on social media at fly89 with an underscore after it. It's Will Parker. Hello, Will. Welcome on. Hey, thanks for having me, Russell. Um, yeah, so I'm here to talk everything super draft with you tonight. Can't wait. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we've had a few super specialists on this show in the past. We had Adam Kuhn, uh, who is our South America specialist, who watches more South American soccer than maybe anyone uh, outside of South America. And Will, as far as I can tell, you might watch more of the college and MLS Next Pro game than maybe even some people in MLS and in in MLS Next Pro. So, uh, yeah, I mean, look, look, I don't want to build you up too much, right? I I don't want to you know, oversell you, but could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe how you got into following the college game um, and why you're so interested in it? Yeah. So uh, of course I kind of, I was a late adopter to MLS. Of course, I kind of started following soccer in general in like uh, 2016, 17, uh, right when FC Cincinnati was kind of getting started in USL. Um, Then kind of pushed up towards uh, MLS right in late 2017. Kind of was a uh, fan of Sporting Kansas City there for a little bit. Fast forward to the MLS time for FC Cincinnati. Followed that uh, first little uh, couple months very closely. And then as soon as 2019 started going downhill, kind of stopped watching a little bit and kind of started watching more college soccer. (laughs) Wish wish that was a joke. It's, uh, It's a fun game to watch. It's like, imagine... 22 players on a field who all know what they should be doing and they're all trying their best to do it and they're all fighting for a a wonderful college it's like um it's it's a special breed of soccer we'll put it that way so i just kind of started watching it then um kind of didn't watch much of mls for 2020 and then kind of jumped back on to um mls for 2020 uh kind of end of 2020 beginning of 2021 and watched a ton of NCAA soccer during those times. Uh, so yeah, of course it's uh, been a fun thing to do for me and going to college, uh, being at a school that doesn't have D1 soccer, I, I just had to keep watching it. And so a couple friends started making jokes like, oh, what are you doing watching soccer? And it was like, yes, yes, I'm watching soccer, guys. I'm watching a random uh, Memphis uh, James Madison game on a Thursday night. You can leave me alone now. Give me an hour and I'll be done. So it's it's been wonderful. So I'm glad to talk about it again. Look, it's addicting to get into random soccer. I so have a cable subscription <laughs> again uh, very recently. And now, you know, I'll, I'll just be sitting there and I'll like turn on the TV and there's like some random soccer game on. Like it'll be, you know, a random like League One match or, you know, maybe like some random, you know, Argentine uh you know, cup soccer, Primera division or just something, you know, it's just, it's on TV and it's on a channel and it's like, Hey, we think you might like this. And I'm like, "Mm, well, you're right. I would love to watch soccer. So I just pop it on. Can't even understand what they're saying when it's, you know, not on like a, uh, an English stream, but I understand the rules and I understand what's going on watching it. So it's all that matters. Yeah. Uh, those, those random deportes channels really come in clutch on uh, random Tuesday nights. So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, knowing that I had a uh, TUDN and uh, Univision in my cable subscription, I was like, oh, OK, all right. I'll watch some uh, I'll watch some Liga MX. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, the Liga Liga MX does have uh, some English broadcasters I as know. well. Occasionally you see them on there. And I was like, wow, nice. Yeah, they oh, had a. There we go. I, was, 
I think it was Jamie Moreno on there a while back. I can't remember. It was it was good broadcast there for a little while. I enjoyed those. Either way, we can talk about anything except MLS. Uh, well, actually, we're going to continue to talk about anything except MLS even on this episode because we're talking about the Super Draft. But before we even go into that, I do want to, you know, I, I want to get your opinion on a few things. The topic of as of late, the weekend news, the drama. MLS is pulling out of the U.S. Open Cup, but they are slotting in, they say, their MLS Next Pro teams. Now, I have a two-part question for you here. One, thoughts on MLS pulling out of U.S. Open Cup and putting in other teams that are not their first teams, followed by, will any of those teams actually be competitive or relevant in the tournament? I like that second part a lot. Uh, for <laughs> first part, though, I mean, I I hate it. I hate it. Uh, I've, every time that the Open Cup has come around, it's always been a... I, of course, I'm an FC Cincinnati fan here, so it's like anytime the Open Cup comes around, it's always fun to watch. Um, we had that run in 2017, and then we've had everything since then with it, and it's, it's always been enjoyable to watch. Uh, segwaying into... Or not even that. One more thing. It's even against bylaws of U.S. soccer to do what they're doing. They are taking out their first division teams and putting in a third division team. Are they going to play under the name of the first uh, first team? Because if not, the MLSPA gets involved and you have to do a whole ton of stuff. I would be surprised if they get this to work. And I mean, this is kind of this was something that kind of was a little bit of a sticking point for NASL. I believe they tried to do this as well and it didn't work. So I, I think it will eventually get walked back. I don't know how long it takes, but um, second part to that, there, there could be a couple teams that end up being competitive. There were a couple teams this year in MLS next pro that decided to invest uh, quite a bit. You had crown legacy, which was Charlotte's team. Uh, you also had Huntsville, which was Nashville's team. They didn't quite invest heavily, but they were a good team that was well-managed and, um, they really prepared to do what they were doing. I'm trying to think uh, other than that, like there's Orlando City also invested heavily. Uh, St. Louis already had the infrastructure there. There were a lot of teams that already had stuff built up and they were ready to uh, actually compete in MLS Next Pro. And yeah, I think those teams will probably carry over till next year and do well. But outside of that, like, I mean, even thinking to the big clubs, you got like Seattle has to come at defiance. They might perform. Uh, it's very iffy. It's a lot of second team type stuff for them. FC Cincinnati, as an example, uh, we're running out like a glorified academy roster as our uh, second team with a couple random players here and there that w- might eventually make it to the two t- uh, to the first team, but in all likelihood, no. And I mean, if you're running that in the cup competition. It does give you a better place to develop than what MLS Next Pro has been over the past two seasons. But I don't know if it's uh, something that's going to show MLS in a good light, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think if your goal is to develop your MLS Next Pro talent, losing in 90 minutes in the U.S. Open Cup is probably not going to be your best way to develop them because it's 90 minutes and maybe they're not even playing for that full 90. Maybe they're playing like 65 and they get pulled off as a sub. And it's like, good job. You gave them 65 minutes of exposure in a game that maybe they were never even expecting to win. So, yeah, it, it feels marginal in its benefit, just high level. I will say that having those smaller te- uh those MLS Next Pro teams play these USL teams that is instantly a bigger development thing than they've ever had in MLS Next Pro. A lot of MLS Next Pro is just not as competitive as it needs to be. When you get to playing in MLS Next uh Next Pro, uh the competition level has been all over the place in Open Cup. There's going to be a level and no matter what it's going to be USL championship level. You're going to have to deal with that and it'll be interesting to see how players react. Will, I appreciate your perspective there on U.S. Open Cup just because it's such a weird, contentious, odd decision that doesn't really make sense to a whole bunch of people. But, you know, I I know you have a lot of perspective on what this could mean for MLS Next Pro Team. So thank you for cluing us in on some of that. I will desperately hope that those Next Pro Teams do okay if that ends up being what it is. If it gets walked back, then so be it. But honestly, I'm surprised they don't play in it already. It seems to me like that's something they should do all the time since that league was formed, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a U.S. soccer executive. I can't say what does and does not actually get to happen for those teams. So 
Now, that said, Will, we are going to move a little bit more into uh, into Super Draft. We're going to get a little bit closer, but, you know, we're not going to get into it just yet <laughs> because I think there's actually there's one more topic. I mean, that is what is it that we actually can look for in terms of how do guys get scouted? How does the college showcase, which just recently wrapped up, how does that happen? How do scouts say these are the people we're going to take? I mean, are they just going out to college matches? Are they getting onto like ESPNU and watching the different universities play? Are they just saying, well, the top programs are like, you know, Marshall or Clemson or Wake Forest. And, you know, we're just going to go to these guys colleges and just watch every single match because generally they're good and you know that's where we think the best chance of being able to find the diamond in the rough is something else maybe if i'm missing something here no pretty much i from from what i know uh there's kind of like three kind of brackets of like how the kind of levels of player determined and that kind of stuff and uh of course Soccer, kind of like hockey in the U.S., uh, the division system for NCAA doesn't quite matter as much. Uh, a lot of soccer, uh, actual uh, like a lot of uh, bigger divisions like Big 12, SEC, they don't have soccer. Um, so when you actually go into those divisions, there's a couple bigger ones here and there. You have Horizon League, which is kind of bigger for soccer. You have uh, Sunbelt. You have those kinds of things. And so certain divisions are looked at higher than others. ACC, usually one of the higher ones. Uh, Sunbelt, one of the higher ones. Divisions are a big deal for a lot of, a lot of scouts. I could kind of disagree. Uh, especially in recent years, but that that seems to be a sticking point for a lot of people. Pedigree of a lot of these teams is another thing. Coaching staff matters a lot, and that's why over the past couple of years, a lot of these teams with coaching staffs that aren't as well known to MLS scouts usually don't get picked, uh, picked over as much as they have previously. Uh, Marshall being a bigger name, over the past like three years, we've kind of seen Marshall rise as to like almost a soccer powerhouse for some reason. <laughs> Don't quite know why, but um, so they have risen to prominence and they have a very good scouting network. The issue for them is none of their players usually get picked to MLS. And if they do get picked to MLS, they usually opt for the USL level before preseasons even start. And a lot of that is because one, their coaching staff isn't as well connected as others, stuff like that, truly. So where the players are is a big thing, be it division wise, be it team wise. Um, then the other thing for like that college so uh, showcase and everything like that, it really is more or less just a best of the best cream of the crop. If if you perform to a possible best 11 in your conference level, uh, there's a good chance you'll be invited. And over the past couple of years, there have been misses with invites where there's been some players that just it doesn't work out or uh i believe kendall burks missed it a couple of years ago because he had a trial with nottingham forest in england so like there's some things like that that get in the way and other players get called in there are some players that just end up not going to college showcase at all ben bender was a big example of that two years ago expected generation adidas player at that point um ended up getting offered the generation adidas deal at the combine i believe when he got there but he wasn't even involved with it at all just showed up on a whim and an mls executive was there so it's comes to different places like that where kind of it's all settled usually mls teams know who's going to pick who and that's kind of settled before the actual draft day and we've seen that a couple times recently of course last year it looked like there may have been a couple pre-recorded videos in the draft, and that's very well possible. I don't have anything telling me that that is if for sure the case, but there were a couple signs of that last year. And in the past, with certain teams knowing, like, someone's going to get drafted here, uh, someone's these are the top five picks, here's who's going to be available, and then it pans out exactly that way. It's just kind of happens that way. So those are kind of like the bigger pieces of the draft and kind of leading up into the draft just quickly as a primer item here a generation adidas that is a term that has been significantly i think weightier in the past my understanding this year are there actually a lot of generation adidas players and the reason why this is a relevant item is that generation adidas players impact the mls rosters differently than non-generation Adidas players from the Super Draft. Many people look at them as essentially a free player because their contract is so heavily subsidized. So when you take one of those guys who's on a GA contract, you're filling a roster slot for next to nothing in terms of 
what it actually impacts on your budget for. So players, players who have that designation tend to be selected quite willingly because it's a free player. You get a person who the league believes is a quality player or has a potential to be a quality player in the future at a heavily discounted, if not free price from a roster standpoint. So there's not really a reason to not pick them when available. Uh, There's obviously some, some red flags. I mean, a generation Adidas player you could find out has a horrific personality or, you know, maybe they have, I, I don't know, like a gambling issue or something like that. It, the, any number of things where you'd be like, whoa, we're not touching that. But generally speaking, a generation Adidas player is going to get selected. Generation Adidas, as he, as Russell said, is definitely something that is a moniker that has been um, heavily weighted on in the past couple years. And early in, I believe, the 2010s, um, when the draft started to become a little less of a factor, MLS kind of changed the way they did a lot of the Generation Adidas stuff. Now, multiple teams have to express interest to the league uh, that they will be taking that player with their first pick if he's available. I believe stuff has waned with this, but I believe you can say that about three players now where a team can say, we will draft this player first, this player second, this player third, if we have a first round pick. That is how Generation Adidas is mostly decided now. And that I, if multiple teams say, oh, we'll sign, oh, we'll take this player if they're available with our first round pick, then they can select that player when he's available. And you have to select that player when he's available. Again, that kind of goes into how a lot of this is decided before day one because a lot of players know like I was this person's top choice and then they go to that team that's what happened the past I believe three years now those first five are usually predetermined and it's usually kind of set in stone with those uh, generation Adidas players though for this year is it okay if we talk about this year's GA sure absolutely all right so this year with the expanded MLS draft players were allowed to declare so any sophomore or senior uh, through senior could declare for the draft on their own. That's very new. Uh, that did not happen previously. It wasn't allowed to happen. Uh, MLS would sometimes select those players uh, in those classes. Kind of n- notably a couple of years ago, Milo Yosef was in the draft, didn't get selected, never got put back in the draft. Is now, I believe, with, it's not the Roughnecks anymore. It's uh, Tulsa and doing pretty well in USL. Uh, So sometimes players like that slip through the cracks with these underclassmen things. So MLS just opened it up. Any underclassmen could declare. Freshmen were the only thing that are were the only people that were not allowed to declare for the draft. So from what we know now, there are two ML or there are two generation Adidas players that I've been able to find who are going to be in the draft. Almost 95%. We're going to say Papa Marboy, a uh, center back from Clemson. And then Stefan Anor, a forward kind of midfield winger, hybrid player uh, from Virginia. Those are both freshman players that were really standing out this year that definitely deserve the GA moniker. And they, they've earned that and they apparently have it. And we will find out here in the next couple of days. It sounds like, though, with the expansion, either teams are not picking the same players that they're interested in. Maybe why there's fewer public GA contracts, or it could be that maybe the league is saying, well, since we're letting so many people come in, we're just going to you know, have to change how we figure out what these guys are going to cost, which kind of takes us to just a, a brief discussion on like, where do these guys actually fit into the roster? Because slots one through 20 are your senior roster slots presumably these guys are drafting out of college who are not professional players, have not had any history of professional players, may not even have any exposure to, you know, academy systems. I would guess they're not going to be hitting your one through 20 slots. They'll be going further down. So how do we actually get those guys into the roster now? Yeah. So any players, uh, so of course, uh, roster slots one through, or sorry, uh, one through 20 is a senior roster for MLS. As uh, Russell said, previously generation Adidas players had to be in slots 21 through 24 last off season in MLS that changed. They could be in 21 to 28 kind of opened up more freedom, allow a little bit more roster spend, minimal stuff. 
now with this rule, uh, since Generation Adidas players previously could make more uh, than what was allowed on those 21 through 28 slots, you're going to be selecting a lot of these players that previously would have been valued at probably $120,000, and you're going to be offering them contracts at $70,000. I I don't know exactly how this is going to go for MLS with having such a large discrepancy in those dollar amounts. A lot of these underclassmen really kind of depended on actual generation ideas contracts because there's other subsidies involved with that. There's uh, schooling involved. There's other things here and there involved. Having these underclassmen and you're offering them maybe 70000 I'm not so sure how that's going to work. I think a lot of these sophomore players who declared for the draft, they're going to have a little bit more say in the amount of money that they're going to be making than other players previously would have had. But you are going to be in those roster slots 1 through 20 on the senior roster if you're going to be making more money than that. It's a big trade-off for MLS here. You can you allow more talent out into your league and the potential to actually perform, uh, but at the same time, you're kind of making a little bit less roster spend at the top end for your roster that's to sacrifice making these players happy i really don't know how um this is gonna go but like i i've said it in a couple group chats now there's a couple prospects where they are uh, doesn't look like they have generation adidas deals and you're gonna be trying to pay them 70 grand and they are players who could easily have gotten uh generation adidas contracts close to two hundred thousand previously it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. I, I would be, I would not be surprised to see a lot of players end up going to USL that are kind of high level picks this year. Is that something that we would anticipate? Someone who say a sophomore, right, mm-hmm. declares for the draft, doesn't get selected. Could a USL team swoop in and say, "Hey, we'll pay you one hundred and fifty thousand dollars," even or they do get selected and they turn down the contract because MLS says, "Well, we can only pay a seventy, and USL says, "We'll double it." and I mean, if you're 19, 20 years old, you're you're going to take the doubled salary, right? Certainly. I think what's kind of like, yeah, I would say what you said is probably pretty likely. But the good part, so any of these players who declared for the draft, they don't lose their NCAA eligibility. They keep their NCAA eligibility if they are not selected. Uh, even if they are selected, I believe uh, they can technically still retain their college eligibility and train with the, uh, the actual teams at a couple designated times. It just depends on how their academic calendar works out. Uh, there's a lot of three-day weekends in early spring, so there's chances for players to go and experience a game day atmosphere and maybe get one or two days of training in. It, it's very convoluted, though. I think NCAA's rules might loosen as well on that. Overall, I, I think that NFL was pushing for that not long ago, so... If those rules do loosen, it allows these players who previous are, are going to be selected are going to have to earn a contract. It'll allow them a little bit more time to actually do so and still retain their NCAA eligibility. Again, it's super convoluted. There's a lot of rules with NCAA that I've tried to understand. There's a lot of words that don't matter and it gets complicated. So that's kind of where the new draft is at. It's a convoluted place where underclassmen can now be, but is it ideal for them to get selected? It depends on the team and it depends on what they actually want. Maybe we should do what the listeners want. We should maybe talk about the super draft itself, which is coming up uh, on the 19th of December. So depending on when you listen to this, the draft may have actually already occurred, which would be insane to me because it's like, how are we already to this point of the year that we're doing super draft and the years continue to just move quicker and quicker and having an MLS season that ended two weeks ago probably doesn't help with that either because it used to be that there was an actual period of time between the two. So anyways, well, let's talk super draft, just high level. Give us a quick rundown. What's the format of the super draft? And then, uh, you know, then maybe we'll talk about some players who might get selected in there. MLS Super Draft, of course. 29 teams in the league. Every round is 29 uh, picks. Whoever finished last is at the top. Whoever finished first is at the bottom. Uh, fairly simple. So you have a couple teams here and there that have uh, been smart with their trades. 
Uh, ended up with a lot of picks in the first round for sacrificing not a lot of money. You've got a lot of available players. Uh, you've got scouting departments that have increased in recent years, especially for the NCAA level. You've got a lot of high-level talent in this draft and a lot of teams that have already done work and have already kind of settled out who they think they're picking. Yeah, so it's kind of it's a bigger draft this year, and it's it's going to be an exciting one. Yeah, I know before we started to record, we were looking at the actual draft order itself and that fun fact of Colorado having four first round picks. If this was the NFL, four first round picks would be unbelievable for a team. And I I don't think we're yeah, I don't think we're to a point that four first round picks is, you know, franchise changing for a team in this league. But considering the number of players who could declare and the number of players who could be taken, and the fact that Colorado really does need a little bit of help in their roster, it could be very interesting to see what they do. Uh, I know you had mentioned that you think maybe they're going to do something a little different than just select players with those picks. So, you know, maybe they'll flip some uh, some picks that people don't necessarily value too highly on an individual basis for some nice roster assets. Who knows? Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, yeah, the Colorado's pretty much any trade that they've had within the past year that they really like couldn't get the amount of money out of it they wanted. Uh, they kind of just offered to drop 50K off their price, but they wanted a super draft pick. Most teams said yes, which, you know, fair play to them. I mean, they got they gave away Mark, uh, Michael Barrios's, I believe, just rights. Uh, he was just an underperforming win- uh, winger for them for one year. Um, they got a first round pick out of it. They got, or the, and it ended up being a fourth, uh, the fourth selection in the draft. Um, last year, they uh, Charlotte wanted to trade up. The Rapids were like, "We'll just take your pick next year uh, in 50k in conditional uh, cam," and they took it. And that's a 12th pick for them. They went and got a couple picks for like no money, very, very kind of shrewd moves that got them a lot of first round picks that last year were worth in the realm of 400k in gam which is impressive so they went and basically flipped 100k in gam for maybe 800k in gam or maybe a couple players so you know a couple couple teams doing smart things which is very interesting because you know you look at teams across the league and someone like say Chris Albright with FC Cincinnati seemed to really figure out the uh the allocation order and in fact played the game so well with the allocation order that they broke it. So when I see Colorado Rapids with a bunch of draft picks and granted, I haven't looked to see if there's anyone else who has an overwhelming number of picks, but it will be interesting to see if the Rapids similarly maybe break a mechanism or if what they managed to do with it changes how people place value on these picks because similarly once Albright had that allocation slot and he was at the very top of it everyone saw whoa this is what you can do with it you can completely abuse this right deal I want that and the league took it away I don't think the league's going to take away super draft but it might change how willing some teams and some GMs are to maybe give away super draft picks if this goes well for Colorado it'll be very interesting to see Overall, I mean, in a draft like this, of course, teams didn't quite know that this was going to be the rule set for this draft. I think a lot of teams would have probably had second choices or they would take this trade back if they actually knew how the draft was going to operate this year. Uh, Because going into this year, Generation Adidas was expected to not be that great. Even last year, like a lot of the NCAA recruits just were not looking great. And it shaped up to where a couple players just stood out really early on. You had a couple other players who were established that, all of a sudden just skyrocketed. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good players on here that Colorado gets a shot at just because they were smart and they traded away assets that weren't worth much money for an asset that could be worth maybe three, 400 grand. So, you know, is what it is. <laughs> I, just for, for reference, anyone who doesn't pull up that list, Colorado in their four picks, two of those are in the top five. They're number two and number four on that list. So, They truly will have their pick of the litter other than Toronto. And honestly, knowing Toronto's front office, I have no idea if they're even going to keep that pick. I could 100% see them trading it away and it'll be for 
something that is mind-boggling in nature would be my guess but it's neither here nor there weird front office there (laughs) they're a very unique environment (laughs) the drama never ceases around here in mls so i i will say i will be watching this i i watch it every year but maybe i'll watch it with a little bit more of a close eye this time around just to see what actually happens so will Talking about the actual super draft itself, I do want to talk about maybe just like a wish list of players, some top prospects. If you were given the first five picks of the super draft in some weird way, who are you taking and why? Okay, yeah, I've got a I've got a list of some players over here. I have a couple that I usually when it comes to these first like five picks, a lot of teams, they're going to go with these uh, Mac Herman Trophy finalists. And those are, it's kind of like the Heisman for NCAA soccer. The finalist for the Mac Herman Trophy this year ended up being Osman Saiba, uh, I believe, uh, Charlie Sharp, and Garrison Tubbs. Uh, Garrison Tubbs was an Atlanta United homegrown, and I believe he's already signed with Atlanta. Charlie Sharp was selected by Toronto last year, I believe in like the third round, uh, just kind of a flyer pick. I don't even think he ended up going on preseason with them. Uh, he then proceeded to score, I think, 18 goals this year. So skyrocketed himself up and made it to the finalist as a finalist for the Mac Herman Trophy. Uh, the only player who is technically eligible for the draft this year that was a Mac Herman finalist is Osman Sala. And he is being touted for Europe right now, according to Tom Bogert of The Athletic. Uh, I believe he's linked him to Utrecht in the Netherlands and a couple League Two teams. MLS tried and failed to sign him to a Generation Adidas contract last year, as far as I'm aware. Uh, They also, he was in the same conversations as, I believe his name was Nathan Opoku. Uh, No, not Nathan, it's a different Opoku. Nathan Opoku is the one at LAFC. There was an Opoku last year who was technically going to be draft eligible. Uh, GA deal just didn't end up happening. Uh, And he went to Leicester and is on loan in Belgium right now, I believe, and doing well. So a lot of these players, like one of them probably would have ended up in MLS. Um, As it seems now, that one is going to be Garrison Tubbs. Charlie Sharp, who knows what happens with him. And uh, Sila, it, it remains to be seen if he even stays in MLS. So those are certainly things to worry about. And he has not signed a deal with MLS to Tom Boger's knowledge. And I can't find anybody who's even found if he has had contact with the league this year. So that could be interesting, though, because if there's these changes where he's not on a generation Adidas contract and he declares and someone selects him for the draft, maybe he says, well, hey, look, I could go play in Europe on uh, who knows, maybe half a million a year, uh, depending on the league. Right. I mean, it's probably worth noting. I think we get a little bit spoiled by looking at, say, Bundesliga or La Liga or Ligoon or Serie A or English Premier League contracts where, you know, you see these guys and they're on like 150000 a week or they're on 800000 a week if you're Erling Haaland or something like that. And it's just like you think to yourself, well, how can MLS even compete with that? But then you think you get outside those leagues and you're not seeing teams that are paying guys 10, 15 million a year. You're seeing guys who make between 300,000 to maybe 700, 800,000 a year. Maybe your stars on those teams get three to 5 million a year, which is more comparable to MLS. So I think there's still the prestige of being in Europe. I mean, there's historic competitions there. There's chances to, you know, get spotted by these teams that pay top dollar for talent. And it's always going to be a draw to go there. But just from like a money standpoint, the league could, in theory, compete if they're offering and saying, hey, well, you know, you could stay near home, maybe wait another couple of years, see if you break out and maybe then, you know, you go on because MLS is slowly building into a better selling league. So it's interesting. Do you do you see this having an impact where maybe uh, maybe some players who would normally go to Europe might stay? I think with the the shrinking of what Generation Adidas was, which is, it looks like that's what's happened. With the shrinking of it, I don't think players are going to stay in NCAA to then go to MLS as much. I think we're going to lose the high-level players as we have the past five, six years. Usually there's always been one or two players 
from the NCAA that go and sign elsewhere. A couple of years back, you had Dante Palavara sign with Aberdeen. You had, oh, there was, there was one bigger one I'm missing. Uh, I believe it was the Mac Herman winner in 2019 ended up going to some Austrian team. You're going to lose those higher level players. And I think now you might actually lose more because a lot of what NCAA is now, even if they're not MLS uh, next pro attendees that go into college, it's a lot of guys from European clubs that were in academies. And then eventually we're told you're probably not going to play here. Um, but those players usually get shots back in those t- same teams and maybe teams a division below. And they, pro- they get better chances than what we offer here, especially with the no generation Adidas um, or minimal. So I, I don't know how that quite affects that kind of stuff going forward. You know, I'm glad you brought up these guys who play in academies over in Europe and then come over to play in college here because that reminds me of Jack Harrison, who is exactly that type of person who was in academies and Jack Harrison playing for at one point Leeds and uh, as we discovered like 10 minutes before this call apparently now (laughs) plays for Everton because I was convinced he still played for Leeds because I could never have imagined Jack Harrison outside of Leeds I thought he did too I didn't remember seeing that happen (laughs) and I've watched an Everton game this year I've unfortunately watched Everton games (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah so those those kinds of trophies are the bigger the bigger things and uh, another trophy award that kind of going back to like kind of the trophy thing of uh, players that kind of win prestigious awards over here jack harrison won i believe it was the gatorade player of the year award he either won that or another highly touted uh high school uh, soccer player of the year thing can't remember which one it was there are a couple other players in the draft that are those gatorade player of the year guys uh the one i kind of do want to mention is bryce abono I believe is how you say his last name. He was with Notre Dame this year and they won the NCAA tournament or the, the NCAA soccer equivalent of the basketball tournament. You know, they won that and they did it in kind of convincing fashion. I didn't, I I hated Notre Dame this year and I'm going to be honest. I read this guy's name as a winner of the Gatorade trophy to just like, just double check some research. I had like two notes of him and I watched like four Notre Dame games this year. I, I don't know. I have his name written down here. I don't know what was super special about him. He was highly touted. He's even still looked upon as pretty good. I, I don't quite know, <laughs> but it's just one of those players that wins awards and that is valued when it comes to the draft because those players that stick out, of course, they few and far between and they usually do end up performing pretty well. Was Daryl DK an award winner in uh, college? I believe he was a finalist for the Mac Herman Trophy. I would have to double check. Yeah, there's a couple players like that. that right, or maybe Duncan McGuire. Duncan McGuire, I believe, won it, if I'm remembering correctly. There we go. Look, yeah, he's, he's taken over the starting spot in Orlando, it feels like. Yeah, he well, he did. Um, their striker that they had there, uh, Erkinkara, you know, it, it, stuff happens. He was all right, but, you know, like they, they knew they could do better, and they had a draft right. pick there who – they paid for and they knew what they were getting with him. And he was art. He was signed to a uh, MLS contract apparently. And I don't believe they even quite knew that he was. Um, there was a lot of weird stuff that happened all of a sudden. Um, Orlando announced a couple weeks later, they had already signed him <laughs> and it didn't seem like they knew that he, I, there was the scarf, the scarf jokes that happened a couple times where, it was him and some other player in the draft last year. They didn't quite even have those scarves ready and they were selected by those teams. So it's just one of those things like, you know, what happens happens. And, you know, like you have to know what you're getting and they knew what they were getting and they were like, we have to take him and they might not have let him know that, but you know, it ends up there. So if there's a team that seems to know college strikers, it's Orlando because yes. Duncan McGuire, who is, in the, I think he was in the conversation for, you know, young player of the year. Obviously, Almada, it's going to be almost impossible to beat him, and he did not beat him. But and then you had Daryl DK, who went on to, you know, play in England, and it's just like, man, they have a surprisingly good hit rate. With You're missing one strikers. other good one. Oh, Kyle Lauren. I will admit, I actually forgot about him. 
I forgot about him until you started going through Orlando Strikers. So Gavin, like, who could not be on this work. episode, surely is going to text me angrily before this episode even comes out and be like, how could you not know the entire history of Orlando City Strikers? And I'll be like, Gavin, you should have been on this episode then. You could have known it. You're an Orlando City fan. You had your chance. So we keep talking about players who have already been selected. Uh, I do want to get us back on track here just to yes. talk about maybe a few other names within the super draft itself. So, you know, who else who else really stands out to you as far as guys you're going to take within your top five? Yeah, so for my top five, um, I, I think my top five is kind of with who's available and the two generation Adidas players that we are almost positive are going to be selectable on Tuesday. I would, I pop our Marboy. There's multiple MLS scouts that say he's ready. And I, I think with him being, uh, with Toronto having the first selection and him being what a lot of teams could consider the most game ready center back coming out of NCAA in the past couple of years. Um, and that title has not been tossed around lightly at all. Um, he does make sense for Toronto. A big dude ready to slide in for a tackle, pretty pacey, great recovery speed. I, I think he fits them a lot. He's from Senegal, though. Uh, so they are going to have to use an international spot to actually get him there. I don't know a green card status for him, if he has that or not. He's only a freshman at uh, Clemson, so I don't know. I don't know if he has even started paperwork for that or anything like that. But that, I think, is probably number one selection. If he's there, Toronto takes him. He could, he's probably a center back number three. I believe they play uh, two, uh, two center back formation right now. I can't remember off the top of my head. They, there's really no reason not to select him if he's there. Uh, he would solve a lot of depth issues for them and possibly be a starter. Kind of a Moise Bombido who was in last year's draft, did well with Colorado. Um, very similar player. Second player, I, I, that's a Colorado pick right there, I believe. Um, Colorado's kind of, they've said goodbye to a lot of players and they only have a couple actual like bona fide starters in their system. Uh, my, what my pick would have been before I remember he existed, Keegan Rosenberry's right there. So he's taking up the right back spot. Uh, but Kevin Bonilla of Washington is a really good right back was a, uh, FC Dallas, uh, youth Academy product forever played really well. But he was behind Brian Reynolds and uh, who, Cannon, Reggie Cannon. Uh, he was behind both of those guys. So there was no real path to the first team whatsoever. And he ended up trialing with FC Cincinnati at some point and nothing came of that. So he's and he, apparently he went to another team as well and trialed as well. Don't know where any of that ended up going, but he ended up at Washington and has done really well. Or uh, I wrote Washington down. I mean Portland. I'm almost positive I screwed that one up. <laughs> I'm bad at writing things down. Yeah. So well, in the era it. of typing things, I think you're safe. I I, I wrote that down. I, I remember how many it. of the things that you type on your phone or type on your computer have that little red underline on it? Out of oh. curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too much, too much. You you should see my writing. It's it's horrific. Um, <laughs> are you are you getting autocorrect a gift for the holidays? Oh, I I thought about it. I thought about it. I might. You know what? Its gift would be a couple less red lines on an executive summary that's due in uh, like twenty minutes. That kind of type stuff. Like <laughs> you know, a couple less red lines would have always been nice in any college class. So you know what? Maybe I'll give it that for the new year. You know. Right. You can lighten its load and be like, I'll yeah. give you a day off is what I'll give you. It's the best thing I can do. I don't even have that written down on my phone. I just have it on a paper next to me. I just, whatever. <laughs> um, now the real red flag would be when the paper starts to have the little red underline on it too. Yeah. I have a, I have a friend who does that and it's really funny. He, he, he proofreads his papers and he puts red underlines under stuff. He misspells. I, I couldn't do that to myself. That's, that's a different level. Um, <laughs> he's spell check for himself, which not something I would ever be able to do. Um, but anyway, so for Colorado, kind of that second pick, I would say Kevin Bonilla, but they have a right back already. It's a very defined right back. Um, they just said goodbye to a couple strikers. I don't know if anyone would take a chance on Usman Sila this early. I think if there was a team, it would be Colorado. I just don't know though. 
I would probably say though, if Sila is willing to be in the draft that Colorado is going to select him with that second pick, which I think would be reasonable. Uh, he's a very good player, uh, very pacey kind of dynamic, just a dynamic striker, uh, probably could play in a, a, a two, two forward system as well. Just a very good player overall. Um, and then with that third pick, of course, entered Miami. I mean, what do they need? They, they kind of need depth everywhere. Who is going to say no? Who what? gets drafted by Inter Miami? Who would say no? Because <laughs> it's going to be like, oh, the team that has Messi wants to draft you. I uh, yeah, I I don't know. I I don't even know where they want to go with this because they have Yedlin, and so I do have a note here that I think it, with Kevin Bonilla is a good player going forward. That is what DeAndre to Miami. I have hesitate. I have hesitation putting him going that high, but ever since his freshman year in college, he's been one of the top players, and he has definitely been the top right back. I think he makes too much sense for Miami. I really, really do. So that's, yeah, I think they're going to take him. There is a chance they take a forward. I, I it, What's his name's gone, right? Chris, what's his name? Chris Henderson. Chris Henderson's gone, right? His contract expires very soon. And from what I've heard, Chris Henderson will not be returning, which is insane to me because yeah. many consider him a top five GM in the league, maybe even a top three. So, yeah, which will probably explain some potential moves that will be shaking out for Miami this offseason. So, yeah, a team that needs a GM call up Henderson. Yeah, I, I that would I mean, oh, DC should have waited. That would have been nice. Yeah, but I mean, if he's not there and you have maybe David Beckham in the decision room, maybe you end up with a Brit. Maybe you end up with Matthew Bell, a very good player for Marshall has again he was in the generation adidas contract um, sphere there last year um, didn't end up happening and he's definitely like a really good forward but i don't know where he would fit on miami's roster if he, i mean if he's playing second fiddle to luis suarez i mean that's fine but like i don't know how you fit him in um he would be the only other player that fits though for them i think but I think they would do Kevin Bonilla before they do that. I think it makes a little too much sense. Then we go to the fourth pick, which ends up being Colorado again. So like, you know, you heard this before, right? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I, again, like you look at who they kind of need and then who would be left on the board. Uh, You have one more generation Adidas player left on the board. And that's Stefan, Stefan Anor, who I believe I, let me double check. I believe he's from England. If I'm remembering correctly. No, he's from Accra, and Ghana. Beckham does, oh, okay. Whew. I was going to say, and Beckham doesn't take him. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. He's from Accra, Ghana. So again, he's going to cost an international slot. I don't know if Colorado takes him. I think it would make sense for them to take him. It just is a pure roster building standpoint. What Colorado has already. I mean, you could add a, like a forward midfield. He's not a 10, but he could probably play a dynamic eight or maybe a wing slot. Who knows? Yeah, I think I think they probably go with him just as kind of a safer. This is a high potential player who's still developing. Not been the best team with developing players recently, but they've been good at giving those players chances to develop in actual games. So I think it makes some sense for them. And then for that fifth pick, I mean, when you're looking at it, it's going to Austin. Austin was very involved in the draft last year. Um, I think if they have the opportunity to trade up, I think they will. Um, But there's a player that's on the draft board already that's very good, who kind of profiles similar to Danny Pereira, who is rumored to be going away. Um, And that's Jefferson Amaya. very good player out of high point, really just good kind of probably going to end up being an eight in this league. Kind of what Danny Pereira was in college. He was a 10, a very good 10 in college that had some defensive qualities. They just didn't show through Jefferson Amaya is kind of in that same category, kind of a better 10 than he is an eight in uh, college soccer. But of course, 10 of just passing range doesn't quite compute to MLS from NCAA at all. So they u- usually those 10s get moved down. And I think it makes a ton of sense for Jefferson Amaya to get moved down to that eight slot. I really don't know who else they would select other than that. I believe I, I would have to double check. He's either here on DACA or he's an actual green card holder. I can't remember which. 
but so he if he's on DACA, I believe technically through MLS rules, he counts as an international. If he's got green card holder, of course, green card holder domestic. Uh, I think anything makes sense for Austin, honestly. I could see them going anywhere with that. I meant to write down a couple goalkeepers. I would have to go back through some old notes. I didn't look at goalkeepers much for this draft. The past couple of years were kind of the cream of the crop goalkeepers. Celentano and Schulte were kind of expected to be the goalkeepers that were top of this class, and they're just not here anymore. So, yeah, I, I would probably say Jefferson Amaya for Austin there, and that's kind of like my top five. You've got Papa Armour Boy, uh, a center back from Clemson, uh, Stefan Anor, and no particular order this top five. Stefan Anor, kind of a forward dynamic or dynamic player. Uh, from Virginia, you have Kevin Bonilla, a right back for Portland Pilots, who is good going forward. It has a good MLS history and high pedigree as well. You have Jefferson Amaya, who, of course, high point player, really good midfielder who will probably end up making a solid career for himself in MLS. And then possibly Osman Sila, who may or may not be in the league for that long we'll see we'll see maybe he'll be in the conversation we'll we'll have to see how that shakes out awesome well i expect absolutely none of these players to even sniff fc cincinnati <laughs> i know you being a large fc cincinnati fan you probably did all this research and like look at all these talented players oh we're so far down the list well thankfully for the way that the draft is looking this year um, there's a lot of top caliber talent. There could easily be a really good player that drops low with three possible graduating classes available for selection this year. Uh, this is the first year of this. Any player was able to put their ha- uh, name in the hat and there's really good players available. I-, I think if you're selecting at the bottom of the first round this year, you are selecting at the middle of the rounds last year. I think that's about where the talent pool ends up. Uh, So it looks much better overall. You just, you're going to have to negotiate with a lot of these players. And there's going to be some uh, super draft players that end up making 150 grand through an MLS negotiated contract or not a a team negotiated contract instead of that generation Adidas moniker that we've seen in the past. It'll be really interesting to see how that shapes out. I do want to wrap up with just a few success stories. I know we've talked about, you know, like Jack Harrison, right? But yeah, sure. just a, you know, Daryl DK we brought up as well was also a uh, super draft guy. Duncan McGuire for Orlando, super draft guy. Maybe just a few other names and, you know, where are they now type things. Perhaps the most notable at the moment, Miles Robinson. Yeah, certainly. I mean, Miles Robinson, of course, now an MLS free agent. He kind of he tore it up there for a long time as a great defender for Atlanta. I remember like I remember watching that guy in uh, I think it was a packed sports bar in kind of like the downtown of my small town because it was the they had one TV that had the MLS uh, final on, and I remember watching that guy and being like, "That is crazy." This was in 2018. And I was like, this is awesome. And who is that guy? And that was when I was just watching some college soccer. And then I remembered seeing like Syracuse and that kind of stuff later on. And it was like, wow. Anyway, I mean, recently for USL, I, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier. There's been a couple players that take the hop to USL and do very well. A lot of those players are from those kind of mid-range, not quite as touted um, NCAA teams. You have uh, Milo Yosef, who didn't get selected, ended up just falling out of the draft, ended up with, uh, I believe, yeah, it was uh, Tulsa in, what's it called, uh, USL. You have Oliver uh, Semmel, I believe is how you say his last name, another Marshall player, goalkeeper, ended up being, I think, a nominee for USL Goalkeeper of the Year. You've had a couple guys like that kind of fall out. The last one I'll mention because I'm, I'm going to be honest, it's criminal how underrated Marshall was for the past three, four years. Pedro Dolabella was probably the best, I would say the best midfielder to come out of college soccer in the past five years. Ended up having a promo video with MLS in preparation for the draft. Had a media file the size of 
I don't know. It was multiple megabytes. It was a large folder compared to what other MLS or uh, what other uh, super draft picks end up having. Man slid all the way, never selected, and had multiple promo videos played on the stream, on platforms. Crazy. Uh, ended up being, I believe, he might have ended up being MLS Next Pro MVP in uh, 2022. Yeah, 2022. Uh, ended up going to Union Omaha this year in USL League One. Been really good, and it looks like he's going to leave and go to a championship team. So a player that's worked his way up, of course. Kind of going from those guys, though. I mean, when you're looking towards like those kind of other players here and there, a lot of those draft picks that kind of leave MLS end up in Turkey. I've got You've got Kyle Lauren. Uh, there's one that escapes my mind every time I try to think of him. I want to say it's like Sam... No, he wasn't. He wasn't a draft pick. Um, but yeah, there's a couple of players here and there that end up going on to have those like really good, just kind of solid rotational player careers in Europe. What about Alistair Johnston? He was uh, he's with Celtic now, right? Yeah, he's he's over there now. What? I don't think he ended up going to Bologna. I think they just sold him straight there, right? Maybe. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I think he was playing under Ange before Ange Postiglau went to what's her face's uh, Spurs. Yeah, you're probably right on that. But yeah, like, I mean, there's just, I, I'm going kind of going through a list real quick, kind of trying to see some of those recent players. I mean, uh, going Jordan back Morris. to that 2020. Jordan Morris, Mr. Speed and Power himself. Jordan Morris was a good one. That was, he's an electric player, of course. You Fits that have, role of rotational player in Europe too, before coming back to MLS. Exactly. Um, Julian Gressel, kind of a big name right now. MLS free agent looks like maybe Miami, maybe new, excuse me, maybe new England, really good player came out of the draft. You got Jackson Yule, like San Jose earthquakes, kind of, kind of legend at this point. You know what? Maybe Bonilla won't go to Miami because I, I think I have heard that Gressel's likely going to uh, Miami. You know, I mean, regardless of who ends up there or what ends up there, they um, could get anyone they want right now. They have Messi. Who's, who's going to say no? <laughs> I mean, they have a they have a super draft keeper from last year. That's a pretty good keeper that just hasn't had a chance yet. So I think they're kind of set uh, on that. Still not going to have a chance for a record. Yes, oh, who are, uh, are they signing Ter Stegen yet? What, who are they signing there? <laughs> uh, oh, you know, no, Davidea. Like, I was yeah, saying that as a joke. I forgot about that. Oh, I, I have heard that that could be uh, more likely than some people want to admit. That's wild. Oh, which means Drake calendar this. could go somewhere to someone else. Yeah. Let him go to, Oh gosh. Let him go to the West. I mean, As an Drake FC calendar, Cincinnati fan, let him go to the West. Yeah. Drake calendar is such a good keeper to be getting rid of. Like, I don't know why you would, if you have a guy that good, why, why would you bring in like someone else to replace him? It's just, it blows my mind. Like you better, you better get a huge, enormous haul. Yeah. I don't, you know what? They could send him off to Austin. And then, you know what? Like, Austin will be like, the best we can do is 500K and they'll do it. Like, I mean, you say that, but like, honestly, I, I could see Miami without Chris Henderson being like, oh, okay, well, that's the best you can do. Yeah. Ugh, you think you can throw in like a third round draft pick? Oh, it's ugly. It's so ugly. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, there's. There's a lot of good players right now in this draft and that have come out of the draft, and it only kind of should sir uh, should show us the potential players that are in the draft. I mean, then you have like kind of the Mister Irrelevance, not not quite that in MLS, but you have like center back for Philly. You have Jack Elliott. More recently, you have RSL uh, Jasper Loffelsund. Uh, that uh, Jasper Loffelsund taught a lot of front offices to not be as cute with super draft picks. That was a guy who I believe was a three-time semifinalist for Mac Herman trophy, like very highly touted player just ended up just sliding. And, you know, you really kind of showed a lot of general managers that maybe we do kind of need to select these guys that have stuck out for a while, not just ignore them because they're 23 or 24. Uh, They're worth the selection. So I think that's a pretty good cap for our super draft kind of preview almost well will i appreciate you making some time to talk about this we have been talking about doing an episode on this for a couple weeks now so thank you very much for 
being willing at literally at the last minute. I mean, we could not have possibly waited any longer because I, I would record our normal episode tomorrow. So we, we couldn't do it then. It, this, today was literally the last day we could have done it. So thank you. Thank you for being part of the uh, of this last minute recording. I appreciate your insight. I appreciate your uh, your conversation as well, because it's it's fun to talk about something we don't normally get to talk about all that often. Yeah, I, I love talking about this stuff. And, you know, thank you for letting me talk about it. So it's always fun to talk with someone else about this kind of stuff other than like having friends at college being like, why are you watching James Madison right now play soccer? Like, you know, it, it's fun to talk to people about this stuff and not quite, you know, be like stared at in a room like, you know, it's fun to do this. <laughs> Well, good. You know, we can make this uh, we can make this an annual thing. You're you're going to get to make our top five picks for the Super Draft every year if you want. Gosh, <laughs> we'll work for next year. Yay. <laughs> awesome. Well, Will, thank you again. Remember, you can find Will on social media at fly89 with an underscore behind it. You can find me on social media at Mr. Danger Russ. And as always, you can find the podcast at MLS Now Podcast or online at MLSNowPodcast.com. Folks, thank you for listening as always. Will, thank you very much. And till next time.